Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Hello, and welcome to Circana's Growth Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Joan Driggs. Today, I'm joined by the dynamic duo of Don Unser, President of Thought Leadership here at Circana, and Marshall Cohen, our Chief Industry Advisor for Retail. Don and Marshall provide guidance and market insights to senior leaders at some of the most notable retail chains and brand companies. They're recognized experts at analyzing retail indicators, providing consumer insights, and most importantly, identifying growth opportunities. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, they provided a brilliant overview of the retail landscape, and it's worth a deeper, deeper dive because these two have the view of the retail landscape across eight major retail segments tracked by Circana, which include food and beverage, fashion, technology, beauty and health, home, entertainment, auto parts, and alcohol and tobacco. Circana is uniquely positioned to provide a complete view of the consumer, from complete wallet, just how we spend our money, to complete food and beverage, from the supply chain through to consumer consumption, even complete beauty, which includes any beauty or personal care product sales across prestige and mass retailers. So our ability to provide this full view of retail is a game changer for retailers and manufacturers alike. So welcome, Don and Marshall. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Joan. So I'm still talking about the pandemic. Maybe I'm the only one, but it had such dramatic impacts on purchasing, both what, where, and how we shop. But the world, and me, um, is moving on. So we've recovered our mobility. And even though our shopping online has become kind of sticky, we're shopping more in stores. And a lot of our purchases reflect these busy on-the-go lifestyles. So now we're living through a long period of very high inflation, which raises a whole new set of challenges. So given your unique perspective across the entire retail landscape, I wanna kind of figure out how you're unpacking all that. So Marshall, I'm gonna start with you. Given this unique view, this total retail view, what insights can you glean? And more importantly, what decisions can be made based on what's happening either in general merchandise or in CPG? One of the great things that this complete consumer view with the merger of all of this data that's now come together gives us the ability to be able to learn from one business and how it's going to impact another. I I can't stress how valuable that is. And I'll just give you a couple of quick examples so you understand why we're so excited about this bigger, better package. When we look at the, just look at the pricing structure of things that are happening in, let's say, general merchandise, which during the pandemic period saw pockets of industries that just elevated to higher prices with greater demand. And in the On the other side of the equation, we had industries within general merchandise that had very little demand and prices fell down dramatically. The learnings that was had just from that alone was worth something. 
But now add in the fact that we're also seeing a trajectory that's happening in food and beverage and in CPG products that have elevated prices and higher demand. And the thought that, you know, when, when, when Don and I speak with some of the clients, it's amazing to, to hear how they're not really looking at the long picture. They're looking at the short-term movement of the data, meaning higher prices gives them greater dollar volume, but they also have to look at, okay, what's coming down the road? And the learnings that you get from general merchandise that just experience this at a faster pace is just invaluable to be able to help project how your business is going to go and grow, whether you're in CPG, whether you're in food and beverage, or whether you're in general merchandise. So this is what we're excited about. And that's just looking at some of the pricing and promotional data. You can look at some of the trends that are happening with basically the continuation of the COVID lifestyle, what we call COVID carryovers. There are certain things that have happened that are continuing on as consumers look for the health and wellness side of the equation or the value in buying better product and buying less product. So when Don and I look at the numbers and we see dollar volume growing, but unit sales declining, that sends a certain signal. When we see dollars volume dropping and units dropping, that sends yet another signal. So there's tremendous learnings to be had across so many different horizons. So from the going back to the general merch and the dramatic changes, the you know the accelerations and the dips, and then what's happening with CPG, give us what that overall picture looks like. Is it the the less the more discretionary purchases that are being hurt now, and that's what you're you're seeing happen in CPG? What are you encouraging those leaders who you meet with to be looking at? Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll take a stab at this one and then throw it back to you, Marshall. Uh, I think most of our clients, Joan, first of all, thank you for having us. Uh, most of our clients are definitely feeling volume and unit declines. Uh, we, we are now, every industry that we track uh, with the addition of even Prestige Beauty the last couple of weeks has had some challenges with unit growth. So if you just start there and say, our consumers are buying less. Clients really need to then understand, well, what does that mean in terms of, uh, of, of, of what I'm selling to clients, what I'm making to clients, how I market to clients. Um, and certainly costs went up for many of our manufacturers and retailers as they went to market over the last three years. And they had to pass those costs along to, uh, uh, to the, the consumer. Some of those costs are starting to come down but we have not necessarily seen the cost of products come down. Although inflation, at least on the consumer products that we track, is abating to some degree in terms of the high growth. Um, so clients really need to, or the retail industry needs to think about, uh, as this settles out with the consumer and the consumer having less purchasing power, how is their brand going to perform in this environment? Less volumes, we have higher prices right now, but are those higher prices going to hold? Um, Marshall, we're seeing higher promotions right now, um, less effectiveness on promotions. Uh, but those are some of the main things we're asking clients to think about. Marshall, you want to riff on that a little bit? So one of the big things that we spent the last year and a half helping clients with was how to gain share. 
everybody really started to shift from dollar volume growth to share gains. The future short-term, you know, the, the, the short-term focus is going to continue to be share gain as we look at the pies not getting bigger in each industry, but and we're not seeing that much fallout from brands. So that means that if the pie doesn't get bigger, remains the same or gets smaller with the volume that's going to happen, that means there's going to be, you know, this, this share grab mentality, which is where we're at right now. Down the road in a very short period of time, as we enter into fourth quarter, look for brands and manufacturers and even retailers to start talking about margin growth rather than share gain. That's going to be a really important thing for leadership to recognize that's what that's what you know investors are going to look at that's what retailers are going to be chasing and this shift from share gain to margin gain takes a lot of understanding of how to do that and where that's going to come from that's where we come in we help you shift the focus of the team to be able to start to recognize even with less volume you can make more money that's a fundamental shift in a lot of mindset and strategies uh, so that that's a big one. And then the other one is just think about to answer the first part of your question about the big difference between general merchandise and, um, you know, uh, the, the food and beverage. Let's let's use that as an example. We're going to see the consumer shift from extreme essentials and shift that to discrete discretionaries, a fancy way of basically saying that we've got the consumer who is now in a position where they've already made that commitment to spending more money in food and beverage and CPG as those prices elevated, as Don mentioned, and they kind of pulled back on discretionary spending and general merchandise, but they're going to need things. They're going to need replenishment of product. We're now going through the into the third year of that COVID campaign of where the consumer pulled back on discretionary product, but a lot of those products are starting to actually need to be replenished. So if you think about your wardrobe that you went out and we'll use your activewear wardrobe, if you wore it a lot and you used it a lot, well, after two years, you need to replenish it. Well, it's now two years. But the TV business, good example, a four and a half to five year replenishment cycle if we upgraded our TVs during the core pandemic period, well, we've got another couple of years to go there. So this is where that discrete discretionary mindset comes in. And understanding where you fit in the replenishment and upgrade cycle and how that's going to impact the demand for your product is critical for both planning and for growth. That is super interesting. And I want to pick up a little thread there because... Marshall, you're talking about the margin game, which I think is really interesting. And Don, you mentioned that promotions aren't having the impact um, that they might have had historically. Is it because the are are these manufacturers and retailers kind of weighing promotions against margins? They're just not as deep. Help us understand that. Yeah, we saw something really interesting last summer on the discretionary side of the business, Joan, uh, we had a lot of retailers that had uh, excess inventories. And what we saw is we saw uh, holiday levels of promotion that we don't typically see in the middle of the summer. What was interesting about that is that we had a larger number of units on promotion, but the depth of the promotion did not go very deep. So what that told Marshall and I is that 
uh, is that we really had the manufacturers and retailers holding on to the margin as tight as they could um, in that environment. And they did bleed off a lot of the inventory. It took them longer, but they had holding power because they had decent margins. So um, we haven't seen the fire sale level of, of promotional depth that uh, that has been seen, you know, many years ago in promotions. So I, I think our clients are really playing with promotions, but not deep promotions to see if they can sustain uh, volumes that that uh, keep their share. The minute we start seeing some of these big brands lose uh, lose their share with things like private label taking share um, or or lower cost uh, shifting down. I think that's when you're going to see deeper level of promotions. We just haven't seen that yet um, in in terms of uh, what we've seen across the board. Yeah, I was looking for that a year ago, and I just I haven't seen it. And so it's interesting to hear it from your your point of view. Yeah, and one thing I just wanted to mention, Mar Marshall's Marshall's talking about the margin focus. Um, that's kind of. Uh, uh, Marshall, what's the horizon where you would see that shift? You said Q4, Q1 next year. It's 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 kind of on the horizon two or three quarters out, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, interesting. So it's not here yet, but that's that's going to be the game of the future. And you're encouraging people to look down the line. Yeah, one of the things that we, we also like to do is let's just talk about holiday 23 as an example. The learnings that we had from holiday 22 are going to be very important to recognize how that's going to impact holiday 23, which is one of the time periods when this margin shift is going to begin to occur. Two things you have to look at very carefully. One is the jobs market and the impact that it's going to have on the consumer and their willingness to keep spending and the resilience of the consumer that just keeps surprising everybody uh, you know with at what point do they really withdraw from spending we haven't seen that to to a full degree across all businesses yet but what we've got to also look at is what happened in holiday 22 and the timing of holiday 22 with Christmas falling on a Sunday next year it falls on a Monday they're going to be very similar patterns of to Don's point earlier, and even your point, Joan, about waiting for the discounts that never really materialized at these high levels. Don't expect it to show up again next year. Retailers have a really great habit of anniversarying what they did from the year before and just trying to beat it by a little bit. So if the sales weren't there, we didn't see those 50% off sales. And we're not likely going to see them again this coming year. So consumers are going to wait longer. Holiday's going to show up, but it's going to show up again really late. And it's going to be really big at the back end, not necessarily at the early stage or even in the middle. So this impacts so many different things, both from a food and beverage perspective on how socialization is impacting the, the purchasing of food and the social gatherings. It's impacting the general merchandise side from a travel and gifting perspective. It, you know, the things that are happening right now are, are really good indicators that this is what's going to play out for the balance of the year. And then look for 24 to really be a big transitional year for many brands and retailers. So I liked what you were talking about with jobs and some of those factors that are impacting retail. 
Can you give us more of those, maybe they're macroeconomic or what are some of the other indicators that you're looking at? Don, where do we start? That, that's your secret yeah. sauce, isn't it, you guys? Yeah, no, well, no, happy to share it. Um, you know, a lot of people are looking at the employment piece. Marshall and I are looking at the wage inflation. Uh, you know, the basics of money coming into the household and money going out of the household really boils economics down for us on how we look at what's going to happen with consumer purchasing. Um, I always like to say, Joan, that Marshall and I are not economists. Um, but we do, we are experts on consumer spending and what are the economic factors that are going to drive that spending? So yes, employment is up there, but what is wage inflation doing? Um, that's, that's a really uh, key component. Um, we're also looking at consumer debt. Um, consumer debt has been on the rise. We're approaching a trillion dollars in credit card debt, which is, is in excess of where we were pre-pandemic. So we have a more levered consumer. What does that mean for our brands um, and retailers in the retail community? Um, and then the last one that Marcel and I have been talking about uh, is, is just this student loan piece that's been sitting out there. Um, so the government pulled back on SNAP um, uh, in kind of two phases. Some of it happened by state, some of it happened uh, all at one time. And we've seen the impact of that and have talked about that. Um, and I think you've talked about that in some of your, your previous uh, podcasts. What Marshall and I think is the next one that might be out there um, is when we have these 45 million people in the United States that have to start paying these loans back. Now, some of those folks have been paying their student loans back. Uh, but in June is another milestone of the decision to uh, keep that going of, of deferring the, the payments of the student loans or uh, 90 days after that, they have to start paying those back. Um, so the minute that that starts happening, we're going to see that in retail, probably more in discretionary than CPG, but we're going to see it show up on day one when the consumer has less money to spend. Marshall, you have some additional ones? Oh, yeah. I crossed off all the ones that you mentioned from my little list. Okay, very good. So in addition <laughs> to credit card debt, in addition to wage shift and in jobs, Think about the work from home factor. Something Don and I had to create very early during the pandemic was the ability to be able to look at how do we get and measure all of the people that went from not working from home to working from home and then the sticking power of that and the impact that that has. Think about the impact on food and beverage. Obviously, where we eat and what we eat is greatly impact. When we shift from working from home and working remote to going back to the office, which is still, you know, at an elevated level of work from home. All right. So we've still got that to, to wrestle with, with that transition. Then we've got the return to experiential spending. You know, we're still, we are traveling more. We are socializing more. Social progression is increasing, but we still haven't yet hit high gear again. So the, the, the new high watermark hasn't been established yet that new normalcy. But the one that's really big that we haven't even discussed yet is the online component and the transition. This is another really great view of what's happened in general merchandise and how you can compare it to what's happening in the you know food and beverage and CPG world. So just think about the shift in the and the maturation that online has gone through in general merchandise Yes, food and beverage continues to show signs of growth. And the pandemic certainly leapfrogged, you know, the growth factor for food and beverage and CPG. 
But what does that look like? You know, when you compare it to the trajectory of general merchandise, there's some great learnings to see how long will it elevate and remain elevated and when will the tail start to drop down? And, you know, so looking at the timing and the complexion of what online is doing and how that's going to perform is a really important component. You know, brands direct another really important view. Learn from some of these other industries how you can navigate your business. That's a real key factor as well. You know, I had a um, a conversation with Larissa Jensen, the um, VP and beauty advisor for Circana about Complete Beauty. And one of the things that she illuminated for me was the educational versus experiential shopping. And the way we talked about it was that for some products like scent or maybe lipstick, you want to be in a store. You want to be trying those things on. But for products where you have to do a little research or you want to learn more about them and then they become more repeat purchases, say shampoo or uh, maybe a, a lotion, that becomes something that really lends itself nicely to online. And I'm, I just found that so fascinating that I hadn't really thought about it. I was thinking of the convenience of shopping online and maybe the money saved um, for the retailer when fulfillment is actually done in the store and it's pick up. But that just opened my eyes and I would love to get your perspective on that and how manufacturers or retailers can learn from that. Yeah, that plays out in every industry, those nuances, Joan. Um, and so that's that's one vector to look at it. Uh, Marshall and I have been talking to clients for years that every industry will have a maturation rate of how much business will be done online versus how much will be done in store. And there's a lot of factors to that. And it's different by every industry we look at. Um, and so I, I think what Marshall was alluding to, I really, really liked, which was there is a set of learnings on what that roadmap looks like to maturation that has played out for many industries that were the first ones to go online. And those are likely gonna play out in every industry. Um, so trial versus replenishment was the one that you were just mentioning. That's, that's one of the vectors that could and should be looked at. Uh, convenience versus um, uh, going in store and, and, and being able to talk to somebody if it's an experiential sale uh, where you need, you need guidance on what to buy in the store. That's another factor. So the online piece is, is fascinating. And then when you cut online one step further, um, we just got new data in, uh, what, a month ago, Marshall, that allowed us to see first party versus third party, which is yet another cut of, of the online piece. And there's tremendous nuances going on there in, uh, in marketplaces versus first party, uh, which our clients all need to really understand. Again, the, the insight, the, those three ways of looking at online and, and that impact, um, because it is, some of it is sticky, but people like me, you know, the average consumer isn't really thinking of it that way. So you've given me new things to talk about at a cocktail party. So thank you for that, Don. Yeah, we're, all, we're always good for that. One, <laughs> one more I just want to throw at you, which was profound, that Marshall put out there years ago for me, is that most online purchases are dis a displaced purchase. Marshall, why don't you talk about that, that most online is not incremental, uh, but many clients think of it that way. Why don't you talk about that for just a minute, if you don't mind, Joan, because it's really, it's it's a great learning. 
it's very simple. If I buy a sweater online, I'm not going to go run to a store and go buy another sweater. So what's happening is, you know, just because you build up your online presence and you plan to grow your business because you added online, are you really going to grow your business? You've got to find a way to get the consumer to engage that that online purchase is an additional purchase or an additional customer. So that's really where many of the brands and the retailers fell short was that they didn't recognize that they weren't adding to their customer count. They were just moving the purchase to another vehicle. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is a lot of the mature pure play retail uh, online retailers are starting to change their rules and they're no longer delivering next day or second day or third day. They're now going back to four or five days because many of the brands have learned this is an expensive process. You know, even without a retail store, it still costs a lot of money to navigate this. The returns are higher. There's all kinds of, you know, bumps in the road to trying to figure this one out. So as the consumer wants to go back into stores to experience shopping again, and what the benefits of that are, you already mentioned a couple of the, you know, with, with the beauty examples, the consumers sometimes need to touch and feel. And they also need to learn how to navigate what new products are out there. That brings up a whole nother topic of just the absence of newness in the marketplace and how we bored the consumer to death during the pandemic. Uh, you know, we just saw 70% fall off in certain industries with new product that needs to change and get the consumer to engage again. Um, and then the other thing is what online also taught us during the pandemic was the universal growth of where it was coming from across all ages. Well, now we're in a different period where in some cases, and I call them experienced consumers, some people call them elders or older consumers being one of them. I don't like to think of myself as an elder <laughs> or older. So I call myself an experienced consumer. So us experienced consumers are driving a lot of the growth or in some industries, the majority of the growth. So how do you market the same product to multiple generations, which in some cases are using the product for different reasons, but it's the same product. So there's so many ways. I mean, we could go down this conversation and finding ways to grow businesses in so many different directions. But, you know, we're, hopefully we're giving you a little bit of a sampling of why it's so important to look across the holistic view of why consumers are touching uh, products and, and where the growth is going to come from. So much. I mean, you are the ultimate observational analyst. I, I really so appreciate your insight. And I want to kind of pick up one more little thread before we before I get your outlook. Going back to kind of that bigger gen merge and CPG, are you seeing any lessons learned in communicating with consumers from either end for any little anecdotes or examples that you can provide? Let me give you my favorite example. And this is going to raise a few eyebrows, so forgive me, but sometimes when you're listening to a podcast, it's good to hear something a little controversial. Uh, let's look at the beauty business and the anti-aging skincare business, all right? The younger generation is using that product for a different reason than the experienced consumer. So you have somebody buying the product as a preventative so that they don't age out as early as maybe their predecessors in generations before did. And you have the experienced consumer who's using this product just to try to retain their youth. It's basically, in other words, of saying, mom, I love you. 
but I don't want to look like you when I get to be your age. So I'm using the product earlier and for different reasons. It's the exact same product. And you can look at this across the board. I'll give you an, another version, and that is the slipper business. Some people wear slippers because it's they're comfortable and they wear them around the house. Mm-hmm. Look at the younger generation. They wear slippers as street shoes all day long and never get out of them. Or so, on flights, Marshall. I see them in the airport. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, what we've got, what we've got is same product, different usage, different marketing message, the generational usage. Actually, one of the projects Don and I are just building now to talk to our clients about starting in what month are we starting our next wave, Don? Um, May, I guess. Right. Yeah, May, May, June. Yeah. So our next round of, of client meetings is one of the things that we're going to be talking about is this whole generational shift how we're using, how they're using products, where are those big opportunities coming from? So there's there's a, a whole reason why to really look at the differences and then take those learnings and go with them. Wow. And do you think that maybe we'll start wearing pajamas on airplanes too? I mean, do you think that that's going to blow over? I've seen it. You don't have to start. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> I, meant for the, I meant for us experienced consumers. That oh, I haven't that. seen yet. <laughs> I don't know if I want to see that. I, <laughs> not a look. Not a look. Um, okay, as we wrap up, can you just give me a little bit of um, an outlook for um, things to look forward to? I mean, Marshall, you mentioned a little bit of tw- holiday 2023 and maybe a little bit of holiday 2024, but what are some things that we can anticipate in the year ahead across this vast landscape? And I recognize it's a vast landscape representing almost $3 trillion in spending. Yeah, so I'll give you some thoughts on, on what we're talking to clients about in terms of the outlook for the next three to five quarters. Our consumer is going to have less purchasing power. So I think a lot of our clients are gearing up for a lower total available market. Um there will continue to be a shift of priorities uh, of the consumer of, I was buying this and now I'm buying that. Um, But what Marshall and I are talking to clients about, Joan, is what does it look like coming out of that period? How do you position your brand to be ready to come out of that period? Um, We we don't usually use the R word, the recession word, uh, because we're already in an economic period, especially on the discretionary side of things in terms of how consumers are purchasing. So uh, so that's what I would say is, is, is brands gearing up with their portfolio of products, their pricing strategies, their communication strategies to catch the wave coming out of whatever economic period uh, we're going to be in. We are still thinking that this is going to be a short and shallow economic period. Very few people actually realize that we had a recession during the core pandemic period. It just didn't get talked about because we were wrestling with this pandemic that nobody knew and had experienced. So it shadowed over this whole economic setback that we had and the government fueled with so many of those uh, stimulus payments and other economic injections of trying to keep the consumer engaged and businesses afloat, you know, so it kind of got lost. So that's going to diminish the power and potency of the economic challenges that we're still looking at. We may never even get into a recession, right? So it it could be really interesting to see how we skirt the issue. However, the one thing that you've got to look at is the consumer is already showing us. Now, this is very different than the 2008 and 2009 recession because that was driven by the housing market and it impacted the consumer later. Uh, The consumer recession actually didn't start till 2009. 
This one is economic driven from a different perspective and it's drawn out. But what's happening is the consumer is now being forced to make what I call potent purchases. Think about what the, the, the pandemic taught us and that is the consumer showed us they weren't looking to buy a lot of things. They were willing to spend more money on really good things. So if they wanted to buy a blender, instead of buying a $10 blender and buy a new one every year for 10 years and spend $100, they went out and bought a $100 blender and with the intention to keep it for 10 years. So that's a potent purchase. The other thing is impact purchases. What do I need to buy to make my life better, to make my life more whole, to live a healthier lifestyle? I learned during the pandemic, the consumer tells us that they learned during the pandemic how to make adjustments and make purchase decisions differently. So the, the, the ability to be able to really think you know, about the purchase, and now that we're heading into some economic headwinds, right? It's creating them to even be more selective about their purchases. So that's going to make the marketing and the marketing messages that much more important. This has been um, fantastic. And I just want to kind of recap a couple of the things um, that I've heard. And that is that, um, yes, the pandemic did change things so dramatically, but we're seeing some of the lessons or some of the patterns kind of continue to bubble down um, throughout, you know, CPG, and we're seeing a, a trajectory in CPG that we did see in um, general merchandise. And that there were a lot of things, again, the promos never really came back, but what you're saying is what retailers and manufacturers did actually worked. It might've taken a little longer, um, but, but they got rid of, um, a lot of their inventory, there were no major fire sales, but people are still willing to spend. What we're moving into now is even yet less purchasing power. Um, and even if, again, I think even if we're not really in a recession, I, I believe that people are acting like they are um, and they're really weighing those discretionary purchases. But I like that notion of the potent purchases. You know, we see that even in CPG where there's definitely pockets of premium that just keep popping and people are still rewarding themselves. Um, and you're saying that people in Gen Merch in particular are being very savvy about making fewer purchases, but good quality purchases that last. And to me, that's like taking us back to the olden days um, of you know buying and making it last. Um, so with that, I want to thank you so much for your time. And I'm going to welcome you back and just do this just on innovation, because we didn't even really dip into that pool. You touched on it a little bit, but to me, that is such an exciting place to play. And as Don said, you know, these retailers and manufacturers really have to be thinking beyond what we're going through now um, and to what they're going to look like as they come out of this period and how they're going to connect with shoppers on products and pricing and innovation and communication. Um, so with that, thank you both. And I look forward to our next conversation. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Zirconic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Zirconic Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.